James Kirk, commanding the Starship Enterprise. And your name? I have a few questions first. My people? 72 of your life support canisters are still functioning. And now? Khan is my name. Greetings, everyone. Matt here, and welcome to Star Trek Essentials. Our voyage each week review the very best of the first 50 years of the Star Trek franchise. Joining me as always is Pete. Hello, Pete. Hey, Matt. What's going on? Happy as always to uh, beam on over here. Yeah, I'm excited that we can finally uh, start our voyage here for Star Trek Essentials. Definitely. And today we are talking about the Star Trek original series episode Space Seed. Pete, in case any of the listeners don't know, first tell us a little bit about what has become known as Star Trek, the original series. Okay, well, of course, this is the one that started it all. We're coming up uh, on nearly 50 years. We'll celebrate the 50th anniversary. So we're talking uh, 1966 was uh, the beginning of the original voyage of the Starship Enterprise. Of course, uh, we're really kind of beholden to the fact that there were really two pilots filmed. Uh, There was one filmed uh, with an alternate captain, with uh, Captain Pike, that later became fodder for the animated series, and then um, later on the the newer movies by J.J. Abrams. And uh, they did feature Spock. Uh, Majel Barrett um, was the first officer uh, instead. Um, They later recycled much of that original pilot to make an episode with Kirk and shoehorn Pike in uh, to that and everything else. And then there's the pilot as we come to know it for the series that we've come to know. Um, which is uh, where no man has gone before, which gets into the whole uh, idea of uh, ESP and cognitive powers like that. There was a lot of buzz that that might be where the J.J. Abrams Star Trek sequel went. People were anticipating that maybe um, Benedict Cumberbatch was playing a character named Gary Mitchell, a friend of Kirk's from... Um, the Academy who winds up uh, getting these godlike powers. Um, Hot Lips uh, from MASH, I believe, right? Is the, oh, yeah. uh, is the girl who is in the, um, who also is in uh, Where No Man Has Gone Before. Um, so, so that's the uh, original story on, on the pilots. Uh, the show, of course, gathered steam, um, you know, there's there's the difference in terms of the way episodes are laid out on disc or on Netflix as opposed to when they aired. Um, but, uh, you know, and having conversations recently, both with you, Matt, and with others, you know, some people are going to get it. Some aren't. Obviously, you're listening to this because you get it. Yeah. And as you mentioned, there's kind of been a... Um... Uh, a resetting almost of the episode chronology first of all uh i believe most of your most of your sources whether it is netflix or the blu-rays or the the dvds they're going to count uh that first pilot as episode one uh when you talk about the first season i know that definitely is the case for netflix 
uh, and also the episodes have been, um, I'm pretty sure across the board, the episodes have been reordered to uh, broadcast order versus production order, which I personally quibble with just because, um, you know, like when you watch Where No Man Has Gone Before, there's a certain, um, you know, it, it clearly is in between uh, uh, the, the the first pilot, uh, the cage, and then kind of what comes after that, because they make some tweaks after after the the second pilot. Um, but it is what it is. You know, it's it's great. God, uh, Paramount, doing what they need to do. So for the record, Space Seed is from the first season of the original series, and it's now counted as the twenty third episode of the season when you count the for uh, the first pilot. So if you're uh, re-watching from an older source it might be the 22nd episode i'll mention too that this is going to be an analysis episode that's also a reminder that some weeks like next week we'll be doing commentary tracks for some of these essential episodes with that pete should we uh blast off from the 1990s and actually get into this episode <laughs> yes of course all right well i think one place to start just jumping right in is for all the high ideals that Star Trek offers us and for all the, the delivery of this greatest of villains. And even, I, I think, towards the end of our conversation, we'll be talking about how this, this villain is kind of in contrast to what Gene Roddenberry thinks humanity can be at its best. In contrast? <laughs> Indeed. On the other end of the spectrum from all that, we kind of have the issue of gender in this episode. Simply put... Uh, you it, it's it's um it, it's it's not hidden at all the fact that lieutenant marlon macgyvers is gobsmacked by the sight of khan as he's as he's um you know being defrosted and it's not exactly the best kind of picture for gender equality because yeah kirk does his share of bedding the babes but it's never kind of on a mission and she's just you know i mean she she is is committing mutiny um yes it's kind of glossed over oh it's because she has this appreciation of the 20th century man but she's just basically there going you know awooga to him well you say this as if the issue of sexism in star trek hasn't been an issue lately <laughs> i guess that's true to go from marlon mcgivers to uh to alice eve in her brassiere and pantaloons in uh star trek in the darkness yeah i guess that's a fair point I mean, listen, she she serves the purpose here. You know, we get into the historian aspect and, oh, she she knows about that time and everything. It's it's a plot device. Um, could her handling have been more in line of, say, some of the stronger female uh, roles we get throughout the original series? It could have. Again, by contrast, um, it wouldn't have worked there. Uh, Khan breaking down an already strong-willed, um, you know, female uh, crew member. You know, what would that have accomplished? And in a in a you know hour running time, you know, less than that with commercials and everything. I just think too much going on to try to do that. His whole thing is this Svengali-like hold over her, and he gets her to help mutiny. And I think it's it's needed to be that way is it at times played a little campily absolutely but Khan plays campily to begin with in both um you know this episode and you know a little lesser so 
in the film itself. You know, you, you use the word Svengali, and I think that, that is a fair point, particularly kind of in light of, um, you know, some of the more recent goings on in our world and not, not even necessarily, you know, kind of 21st century uh, type stuff. I'm, I'm thinking, you know, some of these like in the late 90s, no kind of <laughs> no kind of uh, reference to the, the Star Trek 1990s uh, intended. But, um, you know, late 1990s, there was the the the, um, the comet uh cult you know that we're gonna they all committed suicide they're oh Haley Bob, absolutely man. yeah they're gonna shed so, like, their containers i mean <laughs> you know with the with the tennis shoes but you know and and i get that comparison but th- they weren't exiled that <laughs> you know what i mean um true i guess i'm just saying like yes this show this episode mines uh gender stereotypes for to to kind of get to like oh he's such a magnetic personality that she will you know she will drop uniform in order to to facilitate him i guess i'm just saying if you take it out of a male female uh attraction uh, it's within the the realm of our world where there can just be these magnetic personalities that people follow and people will follow to the ends of the earth well, that point, I think, is is wonderfully said, Matt, because he was like that, you know, on Earth. He was the leader of these supermen. And then for him to gather that hold quickly on her, again, speaks to his character, to that machismo, to that persuasive uh, power, both the, the intellect and the brutality that he possesses and, and what makes him you know, a worthy foil to Kirk, you know, um, Kirk inspires, I would say, and, and really kind of engenders, you know, cooperation con demands you follow. Well, and I mean, with that, let's talk a bit more about Khan himself. Uh, and Pete, I'll ask you this, is he the greatest of Star Trek TV villains? Hands down. He's the greatest star trek villain that's ever existed and you know there was a recent poll i can't remember where it came out of the top 50 greatest villains ever and and he made that as well and i was reflecting in my head you know who would i put if i could pick three and and he made my my list of three um it's no wonder the you know and initially i i went to say that it would be fool's gold but it's it's actual gold that you know the writers for the the jj abrams star trek sequel it was too big a temptation to resist to not be able to play with khan and i know you know feathers were ruffled in as far as changing ethnicity and you know how do you change things that happened before the alternative um you know the alternate universe was created and everything like that and then of course there was the horrible and really kind of, uh, you know, I, I, I guess I risk, uh, branding myself in the eyes of, or the ears of people who are listening to this, but the, at the Star Trek, uh, Las Vegas convention where they named Star Trek into darkness, uh, the worst of all of the existing, uh, Star Trek films, most likely in large part to its inclusion, its decision to go with Khan, I, I think was really kind of harsh. Um, he's the Joker for Star Trek. He's a villain that demands inclusion, whatever universe you're talking about. And his backstory is compelling. 
and he's compelling. And as a writer, you know, how could I possibly resist that? How could you resist that? How could they resist that? And I think the Cumberbatch in terms of the performance he brought, you know, and a worthy uh, successor to one Ricardo Montalban. Well, you know, as I was watching the episode, I couldn't help but think, uh, you know, when they're on when they're on the Botany Bay, Botany Bay, yes. <laughs> when, when they're on it, I kind of kept saying to myself, all right, let's just everything that you see here, minus the Enterprise crew, uh, minus Ricardo Montalban's face, you know, uh, slash, you know, presence, then, you know, add uh, Benedict Cumberbatch everything else is the same if we just allow ourselves the recasting of of khan and, and the removal of the enterprise crew then whoever found them um albeit kind of early compared to the the uh, original timeline whoever found the botany bay um would have walked onto this exact same setting and is it slightly incongruous because it's a clearly inexpensive set you know i mean star trek never had super duper sets consistently but this is definitely this was a a one scene set but there's just kind of that like yeah just imagine you know lieutenant jones is the one there who's waking up in this exact same room who's waking up a benedict cumberbatch con um and speaking of the, the comparison of the two actors certainly benedict cumberbatch you know handsome fella and all that i just particularly in the scene where Khan is kind of wearing that strange you know shoulder uh over the shoulder bathing suit then netting yes. you know because it's it's future 1990s yes. garb um i, I imagine mean, f- it to be like the um the packing material that some of my amazon.com packages <laughs> arrive in <laughs> inside like he's being protected like that it's like egg, <laughs> egg crady that that's because it kind of looks like that <laughs> indeed it's like bubble wrap <laughs> But I mean, Ricardo Montalban, I mean, what, you know, what a physique and just, you know, p- perhaps we can uh, forgive McGivers a little bit. But um, I mean, he just he just nails the performance. And yes, there. I mean, you made reference to uh, hubbub over, re, you know, kind of re-ethnizing the role uh, for the movie. And let's not forget, you know, in, in the mighty Ricardo Montalban con is you know an indian guy played by a mexican actor exactly and between what you mentioned about the set and the ethnicity there it's so apocryphal even there that i give them a lot of credit for not bowing to the temptation of well we gotta say he had facial reconstruction and i know a lot of people have since gone back and you know i know we're talking a lot about star trek in the darkness but i think in light of that film's release and this original episode that spawned all that i think all of this is interrelated i think it's it all really bears out on the discussion and um you know for them to not bow to that temptation to oh let's let's make him indian or let's get an indian actor or everything like that and to not address it I, I think did a better job than going into heavy detail. No, wait, this is what happened. And I know people have gone to the extent to say, well, maybe, you know, Khan is a title. It's not a name. So maybe they woke up another one of the guys, you know, Matt, I was listening to one of our PH geek uh, pop culture podcasts the other night from 
when we watched the first, um, you know, nine minutes of Star Trek Into Darkness back in December when it was in IMAX. And, you know, of course, we were dissecting all the little details we had been given then and we still hadn't been told, you know, uh, who Cumberbatch was playing and everything. And the name we eventually got was John Harrison. And actually on set, the name John Erickson was used again and again and again. And if you pay attention when you watch Space Seed, Erickson is the name of one of the other supermen. And they oh, wow. they went in digitally when Harrison is said in the film to change the way people's mouths looked to get it to say Harrison. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so they went, and and again, they have to build up the, the hype, and we know how Abrams works and everything there. You know, it's part of what Hollywood is today, particularly with his production company, you know, and the idea of mystery and, and pulling people into it. Um, but, you know, I, I thought they handled it well, and again, all of this comes back. We're not talking about any of that if it weren't for this man, Ricardo Montalban, a guy who owned it here, who later got the uh, the gig um, well, Love Boat led to um, Fantasy Island, if I remember correctly. It was spun off of that. Okay, that sounds familiar. And, you know, just owned it as Mr. O'Rourke. And I remember as a little kid, you know, going to see a Star Trek movie where Mr. O'Rourke is the bad guy and he friggin' owned it there. You know, you want to talk about physique, talk about a man in his late 50s, early 60s, completely ripped up with the open chest thing going on there in 1980 uh, too, you know, and, and just owning that. So the idea that he would be this, you know, this Superman, this leader and everything he represented, you know, he sold it from the first moment he's revived and the games that he plays the cat and mouse with Kirk, even though he is clearly the cat, um, you know, he made it what it is. Well, just as we start to move away from from discussing the character of Khan, a little anecdote. If you think uh, Cumberbatch was miscast as a potentially Indian character or or Montalban for the same, uh, then you haven't seen Ricardo Montalban in the original Hawaii Five O, where they slap <laughs> some they slap some prosthetic on his eyes, and he is the he's playing a 100% Japanese character, and it's just you're just watching it going. I mean, granted, you know that's the time. What like late late uh, 60s like it, you know they weren't they weren't being racist but you watch it now and you just go oh my goodness that is a mexican man with bad rubber on his eyes this is offensive i want to turn it off what is going on right so you know for a hispanic gentleman to be playing you know um an eastern indian at that time you know that was something that went on so you know, that, that's where, you know, the outcry over, you know, Cumberbatch playing Khan really, I think, falls on deaf ears because of the way it was originally handled. Yeah. So if you could do it originally, and, and that for me made it more palatable. And I was really worried, like, how am I going to react? Um, you know, and again, being, being spoiler Pete and all, you know, hashtag spoiler Pete, um, you know, <laughs> re- reading everything I could you know, once the film had screened in Australia in its entirety for the first time publicly and knowing right away, all right, they, they went to con as we really, you know, had the idea that they would otherwise why be coy about it? Um, you know, it, it, it made it far more acceptable for me in light of the way it was handled the first time. 
but the whole backstory of of the eugenics wars and everything that that's teased out in the newer film you know this idea that you know they they led nations and that they were genetically engineered and <clears throat> it's it's the anti um it's the anti roddenberry it absolutely is perhaps in a way that um that many other episodes don't quite touch or don't quite confront the uh the the view that Gene Roddenberry had um because you do have you know you have a starship even to return back to uh McGivers for a minute there's kind of you know Kirk is a little dismissive you know oh well, let's put that historian that we have to work like right. he, it's a little a that's just an excuse to explain you know her her position and why you've never seen her before on well, a dude mission. let's be honest you know Kirk can't say let let's get a skirt up here you know <laughs> but but that's the subtext <laughs> But I mean, my point was only that that it is a future where, darn it, if your thing is studying history from 300 years ago, there's a place for you in the space service. Like you, you know, there's a place for you in the world. It's not just kind of you know you're gonna make ships and bottles or that kind of thing. There's a place for you out there on, on the frontier, on the cutting edge, the same as there are for you know space mechanics and spaceship drivers and and everybody. Everybody kind of has that. Um, everybody's potential can be maximized uh and everybody has great potential is the gene roddenberry view whereas the the con view is um potential is this fixed innate thing you start out life with you know x number of smarty pants points or exactly. strength points or whatever and um the smarty points gene the smarty <laughs> pants gene i'm sorry <laughs> the uh the super heart gene that pumps twice as much in one pump as uh, i believe mccoy says um so you know we kind of see you know it's we see that in con that's kind of the the subtext and um you know the way the episode ends which you want to talk about prescient you know where kirk is basically looking at the camera going I wonder what would happen if we looked in on this story in the future. Now, granted, he says a hundred years, and you know, it's it's right. it's less than that. But um, just it's 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 funny how it ends. But notice that as as awful as Khan is presented to be, product of the eugenics wars, you know, uh, going against our beloved heroes and all that, it does kind of end with this hope of. You know what? If you don't have the Superman versus the normal men and you just st stick the Superman on a perfectly fine planet, the gee whiz will never have anything happen to it. What are they going to do? Like, can they breed the fight out of themselves? Can they drop that fight against the inferior people when it's just a bunch of them? What kind of society are they going to make? It kind of ends on that hopeless note nonetheless. Well, brings up several things, you know, I want to address one Kirk from the foil perspective clearly admires Khan and his abilities. And you can see that there's a glean in his eye that, you know, he respects what this guy is capable of. It's not a fear because Kirk never shows you fear. Um, but there's that admiration of, well, you know, I can't, destroy and it, it honors Roddenberry's principles. I can't destroy what's been created. I can make the best of what already exists. 
Um, so often did Star Trek go down the Aryan master race route within the original series. You know, we have the ones where they wind up on the planet full of Nazis. You know, it's referenced several times throughout the original series. Um, you can go into Enterprise where uh, one of the um, cliffhangers season three into season four, literally the Nazis won World War II and there's a whole thing there with a um, with a resistance in Brooklyn, okay, and everything going on there. Um, there's the Jem Hadar in Deep Space Nine who ha- who you know are the the Superman soldiers. It, They've been it, bred to be just that way. Exactly. And here, th- this was a more benign way than to harken back, you know, 21 years and say, well, it's basic. Basically, it's space Hitler, you know. Um, yeah. in, instead we, we bring it out of a vial, um, the blonde haired, blue eyed ideal instead, you know, we're talking about a, a man from, from India and everything that he stood for and the way he's able to do this. Um, and then when they get to the tribunal at the end and that Kirk lets him live, which watching for the first time. And, and again, you know, I had seen Star Trek two before I had seen this episode and then you go back, you know, and, and watch this one, um, as was consistent with my upbringing, you know, being a, a man of almost, uh, 38 years old, I, I wasn't old enough. I wasn't alive when the original series came on, but you know, to go back and watch this and you're like, well, why did he let him live? <laughs> and, and then, you know, when they combed through, all the original series episodes with, you know, what's a narrative strand that we can follow up on. No wonder they were attracted like the audience was to Spacey and to Khan and making him so worthy a villain. And, you know, I, I think that temptation again came up with, well, what do we do at the end of this most recent movie? And, you know, again, spoiler Pete, they let him live. Um, and again, consistent yeah. with those ideals. Now, I think a lot of that was going back to the original. And, well, he didn't kill him in the original series. He shouldn't kill him here. Yes, we're doing a movie, but we're doing it at a much earlier stage. And, you know, the guy had a breakout performance, too. Um, had this been um, Benicio Del Toro, as they were in discussions to originally uh, bring in, who would have been a Hispanic man playing a northern Indian then, you know, and a, and a much older man than, than Chris Pine's uh, Captain Kirk, I think it might have been a different story. I think that might have influenced the way that the story um, ultimately went. Um, but, you know, the whole thing here with the Superman ideal um, and eugenics, which is something that, you know, all right, we didn't deal with it in the 1990s. We didn't have wars of, you know, genetically engineered soldiers as they posited we might you know, in the mid sixties, but, you know, look at what we can do now. And where's that ultimately going? You know, will we one day say, well, I want a blonde haired, blue eyed kid, you know? Oh, and by the way, you know, I want him to play lacrosse and, and X, Y, and Z, you know, it teases the best of us with the possible worst intentions. Well, and you know, there's kind of another contrast to Gene Roddenberry's view of where humanity can go because here we have this episode airing a, a scant 22 years after, you know, the greatest of wars, the most deadliest of wars. 
And in the background of the story, but there nonetheless, or at least in the background for when you watched it. Now it's a little bit of a, you know, tee-hee type thing. But you have this tremendously much worse war of these eugenics wars, uh, plural, in the 1990s. Not kind of some uh, even understandable, you know, there were bad guys. You know, World War II was kind of... Most people are quite comfortable saying there were the bad guys and the good guys, and the good guys fought because they needed to, and the good guys won at, at great cost, but but an acceptable cost to, to protect our way of life and the world and everything. Here you have the eugenics wars, which are introduced as the beginning of what Spock calls another dark age. Right. And just kind of this notion that, hey, we have 20, 22 years behind us, we have an awful war. And a certain percentage of your audience watching uh, grew up during it, perhaps served in it. And certainly it's a, it's a strong cultural memory in February 1967 when this episode aired. And then you're, you know, you're saying, and in those 22 years, yes, there's the Iron Curtain. Yes, there's the Cold War. Yes, there's the Korean War. Uh, obviously, we have Vietnam heating up, but it's not the world at war type feeling. And what are we saying? We're saying, and in about the same amount of time bit more but in about another 22 or 25 years uh it's going to get tremendously worse and it will get better at the other side we are going to have you know multicultural equal roughly equal gender traveling the stars we're going to have all these adventures in 300 years but congrats you're 22 watching this episode you were born at the end of world war uh, two when dad came home and so on and so forth and you might not live to be a grandparent, says this view of the future, because these awful wars are coming to just lay ravage. You know, Spock says, uh, I believe it's, uh, what's the line? The whole populations or whole cities were wiped off the face right. of the earth. Right. I mean, it's just this horrific where you sit and say, you know, all right, two atomic bombs in uh, in the history of the planet. By the, you know, by the time you get to 1967, you've had 22 years where it was, done twice in one month at the end of the war seems like things are better uh but then you're saying no it's going to be far far worse it's not going to be some kind of foreign enemy that we don't quite understand it could be your city that you're watching that, that you're watching from so just a tremendous kind of a downer view of the the then future which of course is our past back then right um back now whatever you know <laughs> a little confusing but um just a just a a, a a stunning notion to think that it wasn't out of line in 1967 to say yeah about 25 years from now will be a low point of humanity uh equal to the dark ages it will be another dark ages except it won't be you know germs that kill people it'll be people who kill people on a massive scale like germs <laughs> Well, yes, like germs, but in that the germs, you know, the bubonic plague was passive in its, you know, it was just doing its thing as a, as a creature. Um, there was no bubonic plague general pushing a button saying, you know, goodbye, Austin, Texas. Goodbye, well, Shanghai. The idea, too, that they, you know, they wiped out populations because they didn't need an ideal, you know. They, yeah. they, they they were conquistadors. They were, you know, deciding the, the future of, you know, entire populations based on what the population was. 
you know, and in light of, uh, I don't know, racial problems in 2013, I think it's at the very least a salient discussion to think, well, if the technology could eventually exist, then who's to say some madman or madmen might not try to distort it for their own aims? <laughs> well, Pete, you clearly are taking Khan's side. What about a mad woman? Well, that too, man. I When, <laughs> when, when I said men i meant you know man in general indeed humanity let let's uh you know for from pondering the the highest of highs and and lowest of lows let's let's go uh you know one of the things that you know listeners of uh this podcast and the ph geek family p family with a ph of podcast will note is that we keep it real and you know if it's good we're going to praise it if it's bad we're going to let you know about it Matt, what did you think of the climactic battle in main engineering between Khan and Kirk? Definitely a little, a little rough around the edges. A little, um, you know, let's do the big wide shot here. Let's do, you know, let, let's let's get the actors in for the close up. That kind of thing. I'd say, you know, as with so much of the original series. You give a you, you give a loving pass to some of the rough ed edges, if only because underfunded show, misunderstood show, you know all that that we've kind of come to romanticize about the show. Also, just simply a different time. Did they know that they you know there literally were people watching this episode with black and white televisions right. uh, and on an antenna? It's not you know fifty one inch screen tv 1080p hd pause and go oh is that a is that a wig on a stunt man oh is that 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 guy has a different hair color than bill shatner <laughs> and a different build <laughs> and a different build so all i um, can say is thank god that um even though khan had the leg up with all his uh genetically engineered intelligence and strength thank god kirk uh, had the benefit of knowing the layout of main engineering and knowing that uh, one of the paper towel dispensers could be pulled off and he could beat Khan unconscious with it. I mean, Pete, that's probably just that they probably go over that in kind of, you know, engineering for non engineers at the academy. You know, they say, Here, <laughs> here's the breakaway. You know, they, they probably reference from Russia with love. And then they say, you know, here's the breakaway paper towel dispenser that also is a, you know, is a, uh, a steel tube that you could beat a uh, beat an assailant with um, that kind of thing. You know, I mean, let's not forget the Gene Roddenberry's Earth. You know, it's a it's it's almost a hippy dippy place where it's like, what? Somebody might try and come into main engineering and blow the ship up. I just thought that if somebody came into main engineering, they wanted to like get a tour. Yeah. So that, you know, they, they need to shock these cadets into uh, being able to to you know exist out there in the big bad uh, Rome, uh, realms of space. Use random parts of the ship to beat vastly superior physical specimens into submission. <laughs> Sounds like a Kobayashi Maru to me. <sighs> so with that, Pete, let's kind of start to start to summarize here. What is it for you that makes this episode a Star Trek essential? The, the setup and the follow through um, the middle. I'm not going to lie. Sags a little bit. The whole. Um, and again, you know, I, I'm drawn to echoes of the most recent film. The whole, you know, we're going to put Kirk in the airlock and, and deprive him oxygen and everything, you know, 
Um, that's why I feel the newest movie is a very, very clear homage to what had come before and then, you know, been altered for today's sensibilities and today's audience. Um, but the middle clearly sags, you know, from the um, Khan is going to pretend he's asleep to <laughs> um, having the um, the naivete to have basically every technical detail available about the ship for anyone at any time, despite the risk they might um, present to the complete lack of records for an era. <laughs> Not well, no, wait, now hang on. To be fair, they, they explain away the lack of records, whether you want to accept the explanation, I don't know, but they go out of their way to say things were so chaotic. That, I mean, look, you literally have you, you literally have cities being blown off the face of the earth. The, the registry, the background for one ship, uh, albeit, you know, a, a, a very advanced ship for the time. Right. The show addresses that square on and, you know, and kind of posits, uh, at least by implication, you know, uh, th that the, the, the record uh, building for this might have been in any one of five or ten cities that were completely destroyed. And it's also a tool of the writer. And, and I get that and I understand that and I accept that. Um, it still doesn't help, you know, that being a major um, hole in you know what's going on there when you consider too that it's it's only 300 years um but you know it, it's it's a small it's a small qualm in the course of of the larger um story um you know the the true highlight in the middle of the episode is the dinner that they have um and again the the verbal uh tete-a-tete -tete that uh Kirk and Khan go through and then ultimately, you know, Kirk allowing him to live and sending him off. And, you know, the, the episode's title is perfect in that, you know, we're going to plant this seed and, and we'll see ultimately what will sprout, something positive or, or something demented. And, you know, obviously the next narrative with Star Trek II, the Wrath of Khan, you know, shows you how obviously the potential was, was not squandered but spoiled. Pete, this is said the Alpha Five. No, this is uh, Star Trek Essentials. <laughs> I'm sure our listeners get the reference. Uh, Pete, I mean, I, I, I certainly agree with everything that you said there. It's the fact that we've been able to 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 get so much uh, from our time. No kind of pun intended for this episode, which is not exactly time travel, but you know, it's a little time bendy, and it's a you know, man from the past which is the future for the show when it was aired you know and all that but the fact that we can get so much out of it certainly is proof that uh, that it remains incredibly vibrant the fact that it was a source for star trek into darkness speaks to that as well and i'll just add on a personal note lieutenant marla mcgivers she is okay in my book <laughs> especially when she fixes her hair like con likes it absolutely <laughs> on that uh highbrow note let's look ahead to next week pete we will be doing a commentary track for the animated series episode uh, yesteryear that's episode 102 and uh, i'm looking forward to uh, sitting down and uh, watching that with you and the listeners definitely and don't forget for our august slate of episodes our second half of the season if you will 
We're still continuing to take votes for which episodes you would like to hear. Uh, just give you a heads up. Deep Space Nine has been very well represented in the voting so far. So if you are passionate about the other series, you want to hear some other episodes, make sure you get your vote in. Speaking of passion, Pete, want to say thank you to everybody who's helped us out on patreon.com slash fantastic geek, particularly Mary Kirk. Uh, we appreciate that everybody has uh, has lent a hand there uh, with the uh, the behind the scenes doodads and whatnots that make the uh, that make the podcast go. So thank you, Mary, and thank you, everyone. Absolutely. Can't do it without you. Speaking of things we can't do without, Pete, Ian in the UK, Ian Knight, that's at Zort70 on the Twitter, zort.co.uk. I want to thank him for for sending in, uh, out of the the kindness of his heart, the goodness of his his, uh, generosity and the greatness of his skill, our our exciting uh, Summertime Star Trek Essentials podcast logo that's uh, adorning the pop culture podcast feed. So thank you, Ian, as always, for for your generosity and your talents. So overwhelmed by Ian's generosity here and uh, just slightly under the overwhelmed nature, uh, blown away by the homage, the uh, the rainbow uh, motif there, picking up on the uh, homage to a Star Trek, uh, the motion picture that uh, was done with the one Star Trek Beyond poster which is with our podcast logo now it's it's just the 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 snake warping back into itself it, pete it's gone from rainbow to plaid that's how wonderful it is <laughs> but pete taking it to plaid all the time is you on twitter so how can people interact <laughs> with you seamless transition once again it's amazing Wow. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R-7850. Followers. Can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter's Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast in a whole host of ways. We are a fantastic geek that is fantastic with the P and the H. You can find us on that name on the dot com, the Gmail, the Twitter, the Instagram. But Pete, best of all, where can I go to vote for my for my essentials episodes? Facebook.com forward slash fantastic geek. All one word with the PH. Like it. Vote today. Well, as aforementioned, Pete, next week we'll be doing yesteryear, so that's uh, timey-wimey indeed. So uh, I look forward to talking Trek with everybody then, and I'll say bye-bye. Make it so.